When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Knockin' Doors Down. Jason here with you guys. Our guest today, seven-time Southwestern Emmy Award recipient Eric Christensen. He's a documentarian whose four films have focused on the impact of trauma on individuals, families, and communities. He's a trauma survivor himself. He lost his home in the Santa Barbara Painted Cave Fire disasters. He is also 29 years in recovery. We'll talk about his upcoming film, Unmasking Hope, which follows a desperate group of people whose extraordinary stories of survival most of us have heard only snippets of in the news. We'll talk about working with soldiers who have come home and suffer from PTSD, those who have experienced sexual abuse and traumas, and we'll even get into an interesting story about Eric working with Ice Cube. For more on Eric's projects, go to unmaskinghopethemovie.com, ecproductions.com, and you can also follow him on Facebook at facebook.com slash unmaskinghope. And of course, please subscribe to Knocking Doors Down on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, or go to kddmediacompany.com. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review, Tell a friend and share it with someone who might want to hear that they're not alone in their struggles. Welcoming to uh, Knocking Doors Down is Eric Christensen. He is a, uh, a film director, producer. His new documentary, Unmasking Hope. Uh, we're going to get into that, but also let's uh, let's jump into a little bit of background too as well, Eric. So, of course, uh your bio came across my way, and uh, I connected with you right away because uh, uh, having a, a sponsor myself, uh, of course, you're you're sober now. Uh, was almost twenty nine years. Uh, twenty nine years, yeah. Had my birthday January thirteenth. That is yeah. awesome. It's always funny. I put up on social media celebrating my birthday, and people go, "I thought you were born in August, not July." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't they don't always get that when it's in reference but um i thought it was very valuable to talk about it because it, it, it has influenced your work in uh what you're doing now with with your filmmaking and uh touching on lives of people that have experienced traumas oh man it, it's in, intrinsically connected i mean it's just uh i, I remember I remember an old timer once said, you know, he was talking, they were talking about our program and he goes, Oh, well, the spiritual, this guy was the spiritual side of the program. And this old timer goes, well, it's the round side of the basketball. Right. And, you know, it's funny how, how my sobriety and my, my lifestyle and my program basically is so interconnected to my work. It's, it's the round side of the basketball. It's all one there's a great thing in, in our big book that says, you know, um, I'm paraphrasing, but remember this in God's hands, your darkest times becomes your biggest assets. And that is so true for me. And especially enabling me to open these doors and connect with people as diverse as 9-11 survivors. I've done a lot of work with veterans. What I have went through in my recovery and the my ensuing continuing recovery in my work and my program is my entree to understand these people that have went through trauma. And it's a huge gift to me, you know, because my past, I can't fully understand what they're going through, but my past and my, my path, my path, past and path and my walk 
you know, it, it, it mirrors so many of these people that I get to meet and everything. And one of the biggest compliments I've been paid is when I'm working with the veterans, the veterans go, Hey man, are you a veteran? And I go, no. And then they go, how do you know? And it's because, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's part of, it's part of our triangle. The service part of the triangle is going out and being a service and connecting with these people and telling stories of, uh, healing and hope. Yeah, absolutely. I know for me, uh, you know, taking on this project that it was, uh, you know, be it God or a voice or whatever spoke to me and said, okay, uh, you've had these experiences. You know, I've gone through the process. Uh, We all know those that, that, that go through recovery of making the amends. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, you know, your apologies. And there's so much, uh, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but uh, impact that you would have on people uh, in the negative sense that because of lack of sobriety, you don't even have recollection of. Um, and so bringing those things to light, going out and, and, and talking with folks in this journey, and um, I'm glad you bring up PTSD. Uh, we're going to have uh, some soldiers on here later on in some of the podcasts as we go. Um it, it does become an honor because people, and, and what I love about what you've done with your, your filmmaking is bring to light a lot of things that we've kind of societally buried away. We don't want to touch on. And it's a good way to change that stigma. And that's exactly it. It's, it's changing the stigma. <clears throat> you know, for, for us, you know, the alcoholism and everything and that, that stigma, it was stigmatized for a long time. And now it's gotten almost kind of cool to be, you know, in recovery and everything. And I would love to see that progression happen with the PTSD, with some of these veterans that are coming home for that stigma and that the mental illness stigma to be able to be um, it, it, the key to it is awareness. So by putting these films out for people to understand just a little bit and develop some empathy towards not only just the soldiers, but from these 9-11 survivors, all these people that went through various traumas, um, to generate some empathy and awareness, then that stigma will start to fade. And it'll be, hopefully it'll be, (laughs) you know, it it won't be such a stigma for somebody to really come out and say, you know, I I have some severe trauma, I have some PTS that's going on, you know, and and that trauma and that stigma will hopefully, hopefully start to fade away with more and more awareness. And it's happening. There is a big movement towards awareness and mental health. And uh, uh, it's, it's interesting to be in kind of the center of that with my films, because <clears throat> one of my first films about trauma was over right when I was getting sober. It was over, you know, 29 years ago. And I started understanding this, this trauma recovery and grief recovery um, journey. And that's where I started really working on it, you know, 29 years ago. Right. Well, and a, a, a fun fact here for, for folks, of course, the, the, you know, your venture into to filmmaking, which I kind of want to talk on on that background, um, because I think it's important for young folks that are maybe listening to, um, I know I've had it when with my radio career where someone wants to come in and immediately they want to be the main uh, guy uh, on the radio station, uh, you know, the main jock and things like that. So I'd like to touch on your, your background, how you got into film. And I know there's a, a funny story of you working with Ice Cube as well uh, th- that I like to talk about. But let's go into the background. How did, how did you get into filmmaking? Where did oh my it gosh, start? Where did you find that one out? Uh, I'm a good researcher. Like I said, Radio 20 Years, you want to be thorough in your in your discussions. But, oh my uh, gosh, that's that's a great story. Okay, I'm not going to go there yet. But uh, Yeah, filmmaking, where did it start uh, for you? It, you know, it started for me, I mean, back all the way in second grade. You know, okay. I, I did that's my first I had been, been playing with, you know, super eight. It was actually regular eight film oh, wow. cameras okay. and, uh, and, uh, really dating myself. But, you know, in second grade, I did my first film with, a with a script, you know, and I had a little cast and everything and yeah. it started there and that's all I've ever wanted to do. And, uh, you know, on a sidelight on that, I remember when I was younger, when I was doing these films that, had this strange feeling and i remember this feeling as a kid i'm like man i have some sort of message i need to tell but i didn't know exactly what it was at the time and it took years later to find out what it was but you know breaking into the industry you know it's a it's a different system now 
you know right there was a lot of there was a lot of mentorship you know apprenticeship and uh you know i remember uh <clears throat> just starting at the very bottom but also finding somebody that was doing something i wanted to do and then getting in with them and becoming their shadow you know yeah. I, I there was a gentleman named robert Celicia, and he did a ton of commercials you know all the big names and everything and uh uh, I was an editor at the time, met him through that. And I just started shadowing him. You know, I did whatever I could, you know, pick up the laundry and, right. and do this <laughs> and do that. And, and, uh, you know, and, and just, but I learned so much from watching his attitude and how he would approach things. It wasn't, I learned a lot of craft, but I also learned attitude and just, he, he was, he just commanded a set and I learned how to like understand that. And then, then, you know, I've had, they say, you know, when, when you're ready, the right teachers come along. And I was yeah. very aware where those people were. And then I would just shadow them. And, uh, and I learned a lot from others, from uh, just uh, humbling myself and just kind of doing what it took. Yeah, and I, I, I really want to get into that because I think it's important uh, for anyone that's listening that's going through a hard time. And uh, I know for, for recovery, much like you talked about, was, uh, you know, it's segueing you and your career um, I know for me, uh, going through what I went through was, uh, you know, uh, a, a divorce, single parent, those kind of things. I had to really kind of get busy. And uh, that's why I really wanted to touch upon, you know, your success now so that people are listening, realize that this has been a process for you to get here. Um, you know, you're, you're, you've achieved many great awards. You've helped a lot of people, but it wasn't just an overnight thing that, that here it was. All right. I'm making these films. Great. But that, that, like you said, a mentorship, um, and, and it's important why I brought up, uh, you know, a sponsor or something for those that are going through, if it's addiction recovery of having those people to reach out that are a positive role model that you can emulate, uh, with anything in life, with any type of success. Oh my gosh, you know, if you open up the door on the sponsor thing, I can go on and on because my my program has always been built on my on sponsorship mm -hmm. and sponsoring. And but the main thing is I've had three amazing sponsors through I've had a I I've had a few more, but I've had three amazing sponsors through my sobriety and each one has given me such a profound gift. But there's something that and and this relates to the industry and getting into the industry. Yes. There's something about coming to an older man that's been through a similar path and asking for help and then humbling yourself to listen to them. Yeah. That, that's a part of the process itself that opens you up. And then if God has put you with the you know, correct man, the wise, the, you know, wise man, you learn so much. And it's the same way with the industry. If you, there's so many people that are moving and shaking. And if you just have that humbled attitude and come to them and go, Hey man, I really look up to you. Can I shadow you? And you know, what's going on? A lot of guys would be honored, but you know, yeah. but going back to my program, it is such, you know, ask my family, ask my wife, <laughs> you know, we thank God for my sponsors and uh, you know, and, and they're just such a, a major part of my life. And you know, my sponsor right now, John B. Oh my gosh, 54 years of sobriety. He's 84 years old. He, he's still getting around and man, I just sat with him last week at 29 years of sobriety. I make sure I, I sit with my sponsor at least twice a month, at least, but yeah. talk to him on the phone and everything. And it, it's a big part. And it's interesting because men outside of our little group, I'm going into a whole different place, but men outside of our group, um, you know, can look at it and say, well, that's a weakness, you know, sure. but I think for us, for me, I need that guidance. I see too many men, my age, just going off on these crazy, I don't know if they call it a midlife crisis or what <laughs> the heck they call it, that they have no direction and nobody to call them on their shit for lack of better yeah. word. And, and they're, they're destroying their families they're destroying lives. And they're, and it's that, it's that, you know, that repercussion of that craziness. And, and um, you know, I, I sit down when, with my sponsor and run my great ideas by him. And when something's coming up with the family, I run that by him, you know, because um, I think God has made us in a way that we, we do need that mentorship. Sure. And it goes back to, it goes back to, um, to the industry and getting into, you know, the show business and things like that. It, it, you need somebody that's been there and watch how he walks, you know, 
I, I just remember Bob's attitude on sets. I remember just just everything about that experience, you know. So it, it, it there is a direct parallel there. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a powerful one. I I uh, went to film school myself, minored in uh, directing for the camera, major was acting for the camera. And, uh, you know, I've done some, some commercial shoots and things of that nature in the Bay Area. And uh, there was some where it was that, that disorganized thing. And there was others where, I, oddly enough, the biggest impact for me doing that wasn't a paycheck. It was the, the friendships that I've developed and people, like you said, that will call you on your shit, which is a great thing because, it, you know, for those in recovery or such as you're touching on in Unmasking Hope, uh, of course, we'll talk about the documentary more here later on for the folks, is what you're bringing to light is a sense of being able to have community. And a lot of that is trust and that ability to call each other on our shit, which brings you back to humbling. And it's such, a, like you said, the basketball, it's a circle. It's such a great thing to bring to light uh, because a lot of people, I think we're starting to get to a movement where we're getting a little more okay with being called on our shit. You know, that's interesting because in one way, yes. In, 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 in our personal communities, yes. And another way, I think it, it just, you know, one of my soapboxes is, you know, is men without guidance, right. you know, and, um, and when I see these families and see, you know, in our, in my personal community and circle, when I see what happens to these families, when they're, when these men decide to make these crazy decisions and stuff at my age, you know, at this midlife crisis or whatever they call it without somebody keeping you on track, you know, it's, it's just devastating. But, um, Oh, man, that's a whole nother can of worms I can open up. But I, I do think that everybody has got with social media and everything, everybody has gotten so into this small sphere of themselves. Yes. And, and, um, and in this kind of, it's a very aggressive community and you can hide behind your keyboard and everything becomes shortened. Everything, all these, all these complex gray areas and complex thoughts and decisions that you have to make on how you feel about something become compressed into like sound bites and fighting back and forth on yeah. complex issues, you know, you know, it, it happens in the world of trauma. It's like, why doesn't that soldier just get over that? Why is he still having these problems? Oh, he's a crazy guy. All these quick right. jump to and go to's. And that can be said about anything. It can be said about homophobia. It can be said, said about sexual survivors uh, and, and things like that, where you can just, instead of taking the time to become fully aware and understand and put your empathy out there that you can get this, take this shortcut and, and just come up with these soundbite decisions that are just surface and don't go below into the empathy and into your heart. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? And Absolutely. I think I see that more and more happen in society. And that that's, you know, to me, you say we're kind of getting more open to it. We kind of are, but then on the other side, we're falling back into this really reactionary, um, very conscious-minded, non-heart-minded type of thinking. Right. And that's where my films, I'm trying to like jar some of that loose, you know, and shake people a little bit, you know, and, and you know, the ultimate outcome of my films is to create empathy so we understand what it is like walking in somebody else's shoes. Well, and I think you put it really well is that, uh, you know, sound bites are a little thing and people get argumentative. The thing that uh, frust frustrates me and it's, it, you know, quote unquote social media, it's kind of, well, it's a little unsocial, a little uncivil here, um, is that uh, the headline readers. You know, a lot of it. You get a headline, it catches you. Having worked in media for 20 years, you obviously in uh, the entertainment industry doing film, uh, you have background music videos. you got to have a hook and a catch. And it seems to me that, that people just read and touch on the headline and they don't want to really deep dive in it. And uh, um, th I think that's such a dangerous thing with the topics, especially what you are bringing to light. And I really want to encourage people because it's, it really is so important that we get beyond just the headline and, and realize that just hitting the headline isn't enough. You know, it's, it's interesting that you, you, you hit my trigger words. <laughs> <laughs> One is hook and catch is, you know, okay, uh, Unmasking Hope, we're about 
over a little bit over halfway done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's been quite a journey, the funding and everything. And now we're in grant process to get the finishing funds moving ahead with this. I've been through this process, you know, four times now in my personal films, but going back to unmasking hope, I'm working with a group of, uh, amazing producers, Paulette Lifton and, and, uh, Mimi Maynard. And we, uh, they saw the original trailer to unmasking hope and they go, Oh my gosh, that would be a great series. And their hearts are huge. And yeah. they're in the PG, uh, producers guild and they have great connects. So we've been, we actually changed the format a little bit and decided to shop unmasking hope as a series. Great. And we got it to an uh, unnamed agency, one of the biggest ones in LA, through uh, through Paulette, and it got to their reality TV department, and they're like, "Where's the hook?" And it's like, <laughs> "I'm sorry, <laughs> the hook." I'm like, "The hook is these people have went through 9/11, they went through sexual trauma, they're first responders that have gotten like PTS, and and that, but they've got, they're moving through it." And they're finding their hope and continuing their life. That's the hook. hook. And they're like, where's the hook? And it's like time and time again, that's what I'm seeing with the major media outlets. And it's so frustrating because they want to see two women pulling their hair out on the street, beating each other up basically. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's, I'm sorry, that's an exaggeration, but you know how reality TV is. And um, we're, you know, we're taking it, we're taking a chance and what we want to try to do is reach kind of shape the landscape of what reality TV looks like by putting this hope in there. Yeah. And it, it is riveting. I mean, how, how the hook is, how do you go from, you know, being in the hospital and being, you know, from, from being uh, for the first responder being attacked by a huge mob of people, having your guys have a hard time, get to you end up like, in the hospital for I don't know how long, end up shut in the house for I don't know how long, overcoming this trauma. And how do you get past that yeah. and find your hope again and get out into the world? That's a pretty big hook, I'd say. But yeah, <laughs> I, okay. So, so if any if any major agencies or TV producers are listening out there, uh, I have a series for you. But uh, you know, basically, we were it, it was it. Unmasking Hope, and we can get more into this. Started out as a one-hour public television show, okay. And we're and we're going back to doing the one hour, but we're still trying to pitch the series. But uh, you know, I wanted to throw that out there because that catch the hook. You know, people are looking for something sensationalized, and um, it's interesting trying to sell hope and healing instead of uh, instead of aggression and. Yeah. And confrontation and the drama and the chaos and uh, you know the goal is to to let people know and help people understand that there is life beyond those things there is coping mechanisms there is healing that can happen and yeah that that's the hook folks that's yeah. that's what we want to focus on you know myself um you know going through sobriety and trying to come out on the other end of it and uh you know i'm i'm 41 now we'll hope to get remarried someday uh you know childhood traumas you hit on one of them um concerning sexuality and 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 things like that um i'm curious of what you dealt with there because it's such a part of our human nature uh, sometimes it gets stigmas or it is, uh, you know, it's kind of one way or the other. It's almost like we don't talk about that or it's full-blown pornography and check out this hot chick. But, uh, you know, how was it because it's such a sensitive area with with triggers? All these areas are sensitive with triggers, you know, PTSD, um, you know, anything with, with addiction, uh, sexual trauma. How was it for you of going in? Did you work with doctors and other professionals in in trying to get these folks to let down the walls a little bit, uh, you know, come out, tell their stories? What was that process like? Because I just I couldn't imagine having to go in and, and, you know, get into these people because you're really getting into their psyche and it takes a lot of trust. That's, that's, you know, that, that question has a couple different levels. And, you know, the first level with that is, I guess you would say my trial by fire was um, when I did homecoming a Vietnam vets journey. Yes. I'd already done faces in the fire and I'd worked with a group of survivors, very close group of survivors that had survived the painted cave fire where I lost my house in the same fire. But then I went to this, uh, the, this veterans thing and it was a, motorcycle run from California to the wall in Washington, D.C. with 300 
Vietnam vets and, and uh, their supporters. And that's a basis of homecoming and Vietnam vets journey. But the trial and the fire that I went through is these Vietnam vets are very leery of the meeting or uh, the media sure. and rightly so. I mean, they've been talked about, they, they've been stereotyped and they've been um, just ridiculed by the media. And so, they weren't super open to, you know, who's this guy coming along with us with this camera and everything. Right. And it just, it took an opening of my heart. And this is what happens on a macro scale and a micro scale. It took like an opening of my heart and a cracking of my heart and the opening of myself to allow them to see what I was really doing and where I was with it. And then it allowed them to open up if that makes, makes sense. Yeah. I remember in, I think it was Cimarron, um, Colorado. Is that Colorado, Cimarron, or New Mexico? We're at a we're at a MIA POW ceremony, missing man ceremony, where they have this table and they ring this bell and the table's empty, and they talk about the father that won't come home, et cetera, et cetera. And I literally was trying to film this, and I had a breakdown during that because all of a sudden I got it, and I was open to it. And then all these vets, all these Vietnam vets surrounded me, lifted me up, and then from that point on, it you know I still had to prove myself to them, but from that point on, things changed. So on that level, that was like how I learned to, by opening myself up, by becoming yeah. transparent, by empathy. I have, you know, God has given me the gift of empathy. I have this... Uh, what you would call I'm an empath and that it, it, I don't read minds, but I can read emotion. And when I allow myself to open up to you, I can really connect on that level. And that's how I do most of my work. It's also very scary because we go to intense places, but going back to like working with all these survivors, 9-11 survivors, sexual trauma survivors, it's based on trust. And I tell everybody in my crew, when we come into these situations, I have a very tight inner circle right. that are allowed actually with the survivors, working with the survivors. And I have to trust them 100% how they deal with them. But what I tell everybody on the crew is our transparency and our connection to the subject, to these people, to these humans, is number one. The film is second. Because we don't come in with an attitude, this is what we're doing, and I want this out of this interview. We come in as people wanting to support them and be transparent enough that they can give us this like completely uh, sacred story, which is their yeah. life story. That's that's the most major thing we have for you. It's your your story and coming through your alcoholism and your the family and um, your sobriety. That's that's your story, and it's it, it's a it's a major it's a major piece of our lives. So we have to honor that coming in there and be open and transparent to like receiving that. And then the film becomes totally secondary to this. Yeah. And so um, that's one, that's one level of how we work through this. And then there's a whole another level with me personally, how I work. So I'm not so affected by taking on these stories. Yeah, you know, and then you speak about the the being an empath. I, I know that that's something for me in in the process, and and uh, you know, being about two two years removed uh, from from my addiction issues is that it's still such a challenge for me uh, letting folks in. Um, you know, it's kind of got to go both ways. I've kind of been in a situation where I get a lot of uh, have had a lot of take 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 because of uh, the position that. Uh, you know, I've been in career-wise, and so I've had to develop new mechanisms. Uh, one of those saying, one of the hardest things for me is no, no, I won't do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Boundaries, yeah, yeah, it's it's setting these boundaries. So I just I couldn't imagine the work that goes in, and I commend you for putting the people first because uh, you know you. you People listening, uh, Mr. Christensen's not just worked in in his documentary films. You've worked in the industry, and you've seen it where people don't come first. It's the project, it's the money, it's the deadline, you know, over anything else. You know, I I I don't really like the title filmmaker. Okay, you know, to be called a filmmaker, I, I like messenger, I like healer, I like these other things because. To me, the filmmaker comes in with a preconceived idea to the subject. Sure. And they're going to get that no matter what. And, they, and 
and it's just like, especially in these situations, and we're very, very aware of this. When you come into these situations, like with the 9-11 survivor that we work with, Becky, you know, it, it, it's like ripping a, it's ripping the wound open sometimes, Sure. you know, and you have to be very, very aware of this. And, and so it becomes, you let, you have to let go of the direction the, the interview is going to go. You know, I, I, I have my basic guidelines and things, but I'm not coming up with a preconceived notion of some story I want her to tell or want her to do. I have to be open to that. And God's going to guide the rest, which is fascinating because every time I get into the edit suite, I, we worked on searching for home, coming back from war. And I was in the field for almost three years doing interviews. And I'm like, how the heck are these going to fit together? <laughs> and then every time I get in the edit suite and I'm starting to say, whoa, it's like a jigsaw puzzle that starts to fit together. And I don't have to, I'm learning. I've done it long enough. I don't have to worry about that. So I don't have to push my agenda, I try to be transparent and get the story directly from them, what they want to give to me as, you know, their story. And then when I fit it together, it, it always seems to fit together. So it's, it's a very sensitive process. And I'm very aware of how draining and how treacherous it can be for, for, the, for the individual that's being interviewed. And we do a lot of follow-up. You know, sometimes we, we've been on interviews where we've had an interview and we have something else scheduled in the afternoon. And I've uh, I worked with a, a woman, Pam Pyre, my associate uh, associate producer, and she's worked with hundreds of vets and she's very gifted with with all things with trauma. And, and uh, you know, I looked at Pam and I'm like, you know what, we're going to have to cancel the next interview because we can't leave here now. Right. We, we have to be here as a group with this individual. And, you know, we ended up going to lunch. We sat in the park and. And, and it's like, it's not just that follow-up. It's like, when we get home, we're texting, we're calling, hey, how's, you know, it's like, we make sure that we have a continuation, that we're not just ripping off some scab and leaving people. And ultimately, what we find out is the people that have participated in the film and how, with our modality, how we work, you know, it, it, it spurs them to actually instigate a little bit more healing in them. And That's I've great. had some great stories about that, so... Yeah, that's what I was curious about. If folks had come back and, and said it, you know, it was a cathartic process and in, in healing. Um, you know, I know for me, the more that I just go and talk to people, um, as I said, I've I've been learning those boundaries, which uh, you know, much different than a trauma survivor of nine eleven. But as you know, with with alcoholism or any kind of addiction, our our boundary thing, our gauge just just disappears, as well as our judgment of character. Um, so it's, I'm glad to hear that these folks that you've been able to help them develop almost a sense of community with it, because I think for any of us with, with not only addiction, but trauma issues, we look for that in a community of trust and we want to be able to relate and fit in. You know, one interesting story about this is, uh, um, there was a 9-11, 9-11, first responder that we interviewed and mm -hmm. uh, I've gotten to be pretty good friends with him now. And uh, it, gosh, it was almost six months after, you know, I get this call. I, I, I actually do use public transit in California. <laughs> I take the train down to my office in Burbank, get this call on the train or this text. And he says, Hey, could you call me? And I, I, I call him and I say, what's up? And he's like, you know, he goes, I'm blaming you for all this. I'm like, what? He goes, I was watching Jersey boys last night and I just started bawling. He goes, I haven't cried since nine 11. And he, and he jokingly goes, I'm blaming you. And he goes, I go, wow, that's, that's amazing. And he goes, no, he goes, you answer. I've been in so many interviews about what happened to me on nine 11, but I was never asked the same questions about after, right. about how it felt after how it felt a year after he goes, there's something jarred, things loose there and and he goes now i'm he goes that was the first time i've cried in forever and uh so that was like very that was very uh meaningful to me but mm -hmm. then again i'm just the messenger so well but that's a great point to make is that um you know everything that that, that we're discussing here and really your film you know 
so much of life, it, it just it's what occurs in our mind and how we think of it and how we see it. But there are so many little facets of the brain that we're learning about when it comes to to traumas and addictions, where stuff comes jarred loose. I know for me, uh, you know, my mindset was different three months after getting sober, and six months, and one year, and closer to two years. And um, so, how did you? How did you really approach folks in that that process once those things kind of started to come loose? Was there points where it was, you know, with with a trauma survivor, um, the maybe the nine eleven lady, where it's, hey, uh, we might need to sit down again. Are you at a different point? Um, you know, what kind of things did you personally learn from that that maybe you didn't didn't think about? You know, th- that process of like continuation with the with the participants or the survivors in this becomes very intuitive i can usually tell just by talking you know i continue to like communicate with them and i can usually just tell by talking on the phone something has changed you know and so we're like let's you know let's get together again and i try to i try to choose a place and activities that are going to be really conducive to you know um them being able to freely express these new things these changes and usually it's usually positive from the beginning of when we first met them you know but it it goes back to this interesting process that happens with any survivor it goes back to faces in the fire and um and and with all my films that the individuals that are participate in the film they are able to tell their story back to somebody that really cares and that's a huge point of validation. And that validation, this is really true to me. This has happened to me. And somebody else is interested. And this is even before they see it, you know, on TV or in the theater or whatever. <clears throat> that first point of like being able to tell that story and validate their experience. There's a guy named uh, Bill Johnson. You know, they call him Fat Cowboy <laughs> from Can- uh, Kansas. He's since passed away, but... Uh, he, he was a great example of this. He was a Korean Marine, Purple Heart. And he, he, he was so shut down when we first met him. It's like, what the hell are we doing out here talking about this, you know? And we just, I was just persistent with him and gentle, got to know his whole, whole family. And sooner, soon he was able just to tell us about his experiences and things. And I would get, I, I got these emails from his daughter saying, thank you so much for talking to my dad. He feels that all the, you know, what's happened to him in Korea and the things he had to go through, he's able to tell it to somebody else and somebody else is going to learn from it. So it's this huge validation. But then, you know, with Fat Cowboy, the interesting thing is Searching for Home comes out on Veterans Day and we're like, it's not showing in Kansas. What what the heck? (laughs) Fat Cowboy had passed away in the meantime. He passed away right when we finished it. He never saw the finished film. So it's like Veterans Day, they're not picking it up. But Memorial, Memorial Day comes along in Kansas, and all the PBS stations pick it up in, on Memorial Day, and it was Fat Cowboy's Memorial Day, and it was so crazy fitting, and his family was so fulfilling to everybody. But it goes back to what we're talking about. Them being able to tell the story is validating to them, and it, it just gives a little bit of instigation towards a healing process of a different kind of size and level. And uh, so... You know, nine times out of 10, people start to grow after the first interview. And then we love to go back and catch up with them, see what's going on. You know, Becky from 9-11, she's, she's, she hadn't, she had not painted. She's oh, she painter. was an artist. She had, not, she had not done any of her painting. And so we sat down and interviewed her and I just got, I, I love fine arts. I went to California and see the arts. And so I'm an artist in diff, a lot of different mediums. And we just had a great talk about that and everything. And, and uh, you know, next thing I know, she's starting to paint a little bit more. And we went back and filmed her in their studio. And, and now she's, I guess she's entering, um, uh, there's a gallery showing of some of her work and everything. And it's, her work is amazing. That's it's so just, awesome. She, she has this, she captures this psyche from inside of her from that experience even in her stillscapes that seemingly have no connection with her anyways i can go on with that. <laughs> uh so. no I, it, and it's such a, a wonderful thing and i definitely you know through our conversation you know two guys we got our chips uh you know aa um but whatever your 
your trauma is or if it's an addiction is I think it's so important that we encourage people to do the work to get on the other side. And once you're at a point of, of comfort, not only, like you pointed out, mentorship is so important. Um, I, I think oftentimes there's such a stigma with, with men. Uh, I know for me that, uh, you know, oftentimes I was like, no, nope, I got this. I'm the world's perfect father. Now I reach out to fathers that I admire. I'm so close to my older brother who's such an amazing man. And, and uh, you know, my background, my father had a very bad chemical addiction as well. He's been sober. I, if I do the math, I think it's near 20 years now. Uh, we're so incredibly close, and I've not had those kind of relationships um, and the people that will call me on my shit like I have now, let alone the people that I can reach out to, and there's so much grace, and you got this, and you can do this. And even this example of this conversation we're having as we enter this this new venture here with the Knocking Doors Down podcast it, it is all about that, of getting busy, getting on the other side, and, and, and getting back to the joy of contribution. Yeah, you know it's interesting because you hit on you hit on the process in there, and it's if if you look at my films, and and it, it became very evident during searching for them coming back from war. But they're they're based on three pillars: it's the truth, the healing, and the hope. Huh. And the truth is what happened to you. You know, it's like to some of the Vietnam uh, some of the Vietnam vets, it's you know seeing their best friend die next to them. For the mm-hmm. Iraqi vets, losing a leg. And for us, it's a self-inflicted trauma <laughs> that we brought on ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes it's high opera and sometimes it's a slow burn, you know. Yes. But that, that's the truth. Uh, the point of trauma, the, the, the piece that kind of changed us and set us apart. And then the healing. And, and this is the definition that I use for the, I call them the three pillars in my work. The healing is when we stumble across somebody else like us when the the vietnam vet is watching homecoming and he goes man that guy just said he had the same experience as me oh me too oh my gosh and that identification that that's the start of the healing when you realize there's somebody else you go to a meeting and it's like there's a room full of crazy people like me (laughs) oh my gosh i'm not alone you know and then you hear that one speaker and you're like how did he know my story, right? It's yeah. like then that identification and then that healing can last for a long time and it takes different modalities. For us, it's the program and we get our sponsors and we get humble, we go through the steps, we do our whole thing. You know, for the, a lot of the veterans, it becomes talk therapy, it becomes um, uh, moving through this in an intensive thera- therapy-based uh, uh, program. Then a lot of the guys also, you know, they, they start, uh, uh, there's a guy named Freddie uh, Del Santo, and he was in searching for him coming back from war. He took up pedal biking. He was, he lost his complete right leg and he took up pedal biking and he's one of the top three pedal bikers in, in the United States. And I it's awesome it. because I love watching like the Boston marathon because the pedal bikers go first and he ends up going across the line before. I mean, there's hours before anybody else because he just right. calls out. But he says, if I stop pedaling, I'm not going to like what happens to myself. Yeah. And that becomes his healing, you know? So there's this whole period of healing, different modalities, could be art, could be anything. But for us, it's the program. And um, But then, then comes the hope. And this is like where we talk about mentorship. The hope is when somebody passes the healing and they get enough healing in, that they go back to the beginning of the line to somebody that's just in the truth and go, Hey, I've been there too and help them through. Yeah. And, and people see hope in different ways and, and it plays out different ways in my film, but in a lot of my films, that's how I see the hope is when somebody gets heals enough, they, they get this awareness and help the guy at the beginning of the line. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mr. Christensen, we are looking forward to, uh, to this project. Folks that want to know more and, and can help, um, you know, in the, in the completion process, unmaskinghopethemovie.com is that website. Um, if folks are wanting to know more about some of your other projects uh, that, you, that you've done, I, the, I'm, I'm looking forward to I've got an earmark to watch the one on, on the veterans because that's um, such a near and dear place to my heart. I lost uh, one of my best friends in Afghanistan. And um, where can they find out more about your films that you've already produced and have put out at this point? 
Well, they can go to ecproductions.com and ecproductions.com has all my, you know, links to all my films there. Uh, if you're interested in seeing uh, Searching for Home, Coming Back for More, that's on iTunes, Google Play, all the places, uh, all the d- typical uh, streaming videos. So it's Searching for Home, Coming Back for More. And those are the two main parts. But if you really want to get involved with Unmasking Hope, like you said, unmaskinghopethemovie.com. And um, we also have a donation area there if you're interested in uh, jumping in that way, because we're we're on the... You know, we're on the home stretch, and if it's, it, we anticipate the release of Unmasking Hope to at least equal what we did with Searching for Home, Coming Back for More, and that was 2,300 airings in three years. Yeah. That's like 12 million people, a lot of effect going out there, and then we partnered with um, 877 War Vets, so we had a number in it, so people, the veterans can actually get help right away after seeing the film. So, you know, we do outreach and everything with that. That's excellent. Well, we did kind of promise it early in the conversation. So you worked with Ice Cube. Let's finish off on that story. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. You know, before I got sober, <laughs> I, was, uh, I, was, I was a pretty my, – my, that's a whole other show that we could talk about, how your art actually changes once you get sober. But before I got sober, I was – did a lot of wild work and I did, you know, a lot of commercials and music videos and stuff. But the funny thing is I met Ice Cube after I got sober. So I got sober about a year or two into my sobriety. I'm still editing rap videos, which I had, a, I had to actually step out of it. It got too yeah. negative for me. Once I got sober, I'm like, you know, Marty, I can't do this anymore. But I was working with, uh, with, uh, director, rap video director, Marty Thomas. And he, he since has passed away. He was, he was, awesome guy pretty crazy but i'm editing some of these rap videos for him and he goes hey why don't you grow a mustache and i'm like okay he goes come in and grow a mustache so i grow the mustache come in he goes you'd be a great cop he goes you got to come down he goes do you know anybody else that would want to like play a cop and so it was my sponsor at the time doug m and he looked kind of like the guy from terminator you know the oh robert patrick yeah he looks like robert patrick and so we show up down at the set down there and it's like, it's crazy. And he's doing this um, music video for threat. It's called threat. Let the dogs loose. Yeah. I know this song. Find it on, you can find it on um, YouTube. And I guess he's, he was one of ice cubes protégés. So we're, we're busting down doors and I'm having a blast. I'm dressed as a police officer and I'm there with my sponsor. And it's just like, <laughs> and it's crazy because all these homies are there with 40 ounces and stuff. And we're in our little like trailer, you know, <laughs> I out and go, man, it's like all the, all the fine herb is wafting everywhere. Right. Thank God I'm with my sponsor and we're playing the cops. And all of a sudden Marty, I get the walkie talkie or the, the PA comes and goes, okay, Marty wants you up on the set. We're doing this. Um, we're doing this jail scene and i'm like okay so we go up there and ice cube sitting in there and marty's like okay you got to go in there and get him to fight with him <laughs> you're interrogating him and so you got to push him around and i'm like oh man i have some acting background but that's ice cube you know? <laughs> so i went ahead and did that but uh oh. it was really cool because i had that still from that me and my sponsor Doug, we're like totally like interrogating <laughs> Ice Cube. You know? Oh, that's it was, awesome! It was hilarious, but that hey, gift of sobriety. Seriously, it was. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you <laughs> Who never knows know where you'll end up. <laughs> that's right. I've, I've ended up here without yeah, sobriety. Right I would not be here talking to you now. So taking on yeah. this uh, crazy, awesome venture that uh, that I'm looking forward to, which it's quite ironic because uh, um, the gentleman that I was telling you about, uh, Carlos Vieira. Uh, who his book uh, it's coming out knocking doors down same title as the podcast it talks about uh, his journey um, which uh, I'll have to try to get it to you because it reads like that a movie I, I was telling him I'm like boy this reads just like a movie uh, Carlos and uh, really and then you know bing light bulb probably went off in his head um, but uh, the the company that owns a lifestyle brand 5150 which relates to a story in the in the book. Um, their theme is live the madness. And when I agreed to do this, he's like, all right, are you ready to live the madness? Let's get after this. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of a cool way to finish it up full circle, I guess, is sometimes uh, you go from really doing 
the madness of, you know, your case and mine imbibing the spirits uh, constantly. And, uh, you know, it's the only disease I know that people choose. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the way I've always put it. But uh, to uh, to taking on these projects that that uh, the aim is to help and yep. bring hope. Right on. So, Mr. Christensen, thank you for your time. We'll have to do a follow-up. I would really like to talk about the difference between um, art when you're not sober and what it becomes afterwards because it was really interesting, the the, the 9-11 uh, survivor, Becky, that you spoke about, how her art went away after that, and then she started to find that joy again. And my art is, <laughs> I mean, my art, my art has changed to a calling, you know, and uh, – yeah. There, there's a lot more we could talk about. I would love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for your time, good sir. Okay, thank you, Jason. Thank you again to Eric Christensen. Really insightful stuff. Really looking forward to his next project, Unmasking Hope. And uh, hopefully we've helped you out there that are listening to know you're not alone in the things that you're going through. There's many people out there like you, and there are tons of resources. And hey, keep your eye on our social media. You can search us on Facebook and Instagram at Knocking Doors Down. And while you're at it, tell a friend about the podcast. Subscribe now, either on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, or at kddmediacompany.com. Tell a friend, leave a five-star review. For knocking doors down, I'm Jason. I'll talk to you next week, and don't forget, I'll most likely quit tomorrow. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content, establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.